Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, you sent me a message late last week about taking a shot on a high school girl. It only cost you a dollar. I don't know. It sounded very sketchy. Do, do you want to take a minute to explain yourself? Yeah, you know, Eric, thanks for giving me a chance to explain that before a police battering ram comes through the front door here. <laughs> so I first hear on Thursday night about the feel-good story on how a 17-year-old high school junior from Holmdel, New Jersey, uh, down the shore, somehow had taken a share of the lead after one round of the U.S. Women's Open. It's the biggest prize in all the women's golf. It's just amazing. Uh, and then being a senior analyst who covers the gaming industry, I wondered, wait, can I legally bet on an underage amateur in this tournament, really, in New Jersey? I hope the answer was no, but my token $1 bet on amateur uh, mega game at a terribly priced 50 to 1 to win was approved. And as I noted this story for uh, NJOnlineGambling.com, you know, once Ganey miraculously was still in third place entering Sunday's final round, I realized, well, I'm not going to keep the 50 bucks gained off an athletic achievement of a minor, especially <laughs> not one who's not eligible for the million dollar first prize herself. So I caught an interview with her over the weekend and Ganey said she was eager to give back to the next generation, which of course is very charming since by many counts, the next generation after hers hasn't even born yet. Right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, the first T Jersey Shore charity helps uh, underprivileged uh, youngsters get a chance not only to play golf, but, you know, from that to learn patience, discipline, sportsmanship, camaraderie, all that good stuff. And I, I figured they would receive the money. Gannay had a tough front nine on Sunday, but she righted the ship on the back nine and finished tied for 14th. She had the best score among the dozens of amateur players, almost all of them older than her in the entire tournament. Um, still, something just didn't seem right here. So, and for those who think, well, it's just one player and she's 17 and she may not be an adult but she's not a child either, so it's fine. All right, how about the 14-year-old who qualified this year as well? She drives the ball 275 yards, so are we good there? Okay, if you are. How about seven years ago with Lucy Lee? She was an 11-year-old qualifier, and she was smaller than her golf bag. Anyone out there wonder if any state should permit us gamblers to bet on a sixth grader? Uh, Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I say no. Now, finally, I realized that Jersey Shore kids shouldn't be penalized because uh, Gene couldn't quite pull off a miracle. So I sent the charity 50 bucks anyway. I'm not even expensing it better collective. (laughs) So now we've come full circle from me being a creep to being, well, okay, not quite a hero. (laughs) All right. Well, I I appreciate that explanation. Uh, Yeah, maybe maybe you're not uh, officially a creep, but still, just to be (laughs) safe, I'm going to call the cops in Bergen County and uh, tell them maybe you shouldn't be allowed within 500 yards of a school. Just just to be safe. Um, in, in all seriousness, it's a fascinating subject, um, you know, this idea of whether we can bet on athletes of a certain age. Uh, obviously, there shouldn't be legal betting on high school sports, and there isn't, or Little League games, and there isn't. Um, but yeah, when a high school age kid is in a major open event, what do you do? Um, I don't think it should be too hard for the, the leagues and the tours to share data with the sports books about the ages of all the competitors um, should be easy enough to know how old everybody is. Um, and I would kind of like to see states pass laws that under a certain age, probably under 17 or maybe under 16, something like that. 
in an individual sport, nobody can bet on that athlete. Uh, although uh, the folks who are excited to bet on women's gymnastics in the Olympics in a couple of months might object to that rule, since pretty much the whole field is uh, on the borderline there. I have objected to gymnastics for decades, and uh, <laughs> right. unfortunately, some rather tragic recent news about them in general has only confirmed my suspicions. That's uh, I have problems with that at all. Uh, overall, uh, I would say the age would be 16. I think Jordan Spieth contended in a tournament uh, in the on the PGA Tour when he was 16, but I don't think anybody under 16 has really done it. Um, women's tennis is notable. Yeah. You know, I, I covered Jennifer Capriati. She won the 18 and under U.S. Open junior when she was 13 and she was on the tour at 14 and yep. i was at that memorable press conference when uh, one of her many many sponsors at 14 was oil of olay the anti-aging cream and you know one of the female reporters asked you know why would you need that you're 14 and she had been given a rehearsed answer of you know you're never too young to start thinking about taking care of your skin it was <laughs> it was it was brutal um so that's what makes it a tough one i think 16 covers almost everything but um, there are 14 and 15 year olds still who are rather good. You know, I don't know the exact answer uh, for damn sure. I don't, I don't want anybody betting on a middle school, 11 year old, sixth grader. I just, that, you know, if we have to make it 13 and make it 13, but geez, let's right. uh, we got to do it somewhere. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll go, I'll get down with that, that at least start at uh, 13 uh, ban, ban betting on anyone younger than that. And then if we want to raise it, you know, figure that out, but uh, yeah, got to start somewhere. I think. Yep. Exactly. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 146 of gamble on. If you missed any of our previous 145 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple podcasts, and Spotify. If for some reason you haven't subscribed yet, do that. Click subscribe. Each new episode will download automatically in your app and you'll never miss another one. And Eric, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Circus Sportsbook Operations Manager Jeff Benson to give his perspective on, among other things, John Rom having to withdraw from the Memorial Tournament and the divide among sportsbook as to whether or not to issue bad beat payouts. But first, it's been a fairly busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We might normally kick off the news segment with that ROM golf betting situation that John just mentioned, but we're expecting to cover it fairly thoroughly during our interview with Jeff. So you get three different news stories instead, and we start with an update on a dark and disturbing story. Just as we were recording last week's podcast last Thursday morning, Benjamin Patz, better known in our industry by the nickname Parlay Patz, was sentenced to 36 months probation, no prison time, for sending threatening messages to athletes, athletes upon whom he had wagered, making this a problem gambling story. Patz, who is now 24 years old, received positive press in 2019 when the Action Network's Darren Ravel wrote about his seven-figure success on parlay bets. But a few months later, he was arrested for sending threatening messages on Instagram to at least four Tampa Bay Rays players using the phrase, sever your neck in two separate messages. That's about all the detail we need to go into there. You get the idea. Uh, Pats could have faced up to five years in prison, but he pleaded guilty and avoided prison time, instead getting six months of home detention. He has to participate in a mental health treatment program, and he's prohibited from engaging in any gambling activities. John, did he get off too easy? Does this sentence fail to properly dissuade other bettors from going down a similar path? And what are the implications of all this for problem gambling awareness, in your view? 
Well, first of all, I'm going to predict without knowing specifically that the the judge giving the sentence of six months home detention is over 50 years old. Okay. Because, you know, they would think, Oh, a young person who can't go anywhere really for six months. What a, what a tragedy. What a, what a social life ruiner that would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people 24 years old now, they can handle six months of home detention. So um, that's one, number one. And uh, yeah, he got off too easy for sure. You know, there's a focus on getting nonviolent problem gamblers treatment instead of punishment. And I think it's a smart concept, you know, such as someone who steals from the grocery store because they gamble their money away right as opposed to trying to rob a bank there's a big difference this is in between that but both the volume and the intensity of the threats i think this sets a bad public example of of where a line is drawn that you can you can go this far and still get like what i said for a 24 year old these days six months of home detention is not that bad of a sentence and now regular listeners can always already figure out that the the whole parlay pats nickname drives me up a wall I and mean, right. sports betting operators routinely report only winning about three to eight percent a month on single game bets in various sports and they often hold 20 percent of parlay bet money and that's in spite of the occasional five or six figure payouts that get so much publicity i think parlay pretender seems like a more accurate nickname for this guy <laughs> yeah um so actually i disagree with you on on the punishment aspect of this i'll i'll, I'll be the uh the Stephen a to your skip bayless or whatever and we'll first <laughs> oh, takeify this a little bit um yeah. i actually kind of think the punishment fits the crime i'm not so sure prison is required for a first offense of words not actions he, he didn't attack anyone he threatened to and that is terrible but I'm not convinced he's a risk to anyone. I think probation, home detention, that makes sense. And then the mental health treatment, perfect. Um, I feel like jail time might be over punishing just to make an example of him. So uh, there's there's my uh, first take uh, alternate uh, opinion on, on that. Um, I do think that this is an important story to publicize as much as possible. I know that the uh, the anti-gambling people will seize on it to try to get various forms of gambling banned, but I'm not too concerned about that. That train has pretty well left the station at this point. Um, so I think the upside of publicizing this is really strong, uh, bringing awareness to what not to do, to the fact that there are treatment programs, to the fact that you can ban people from gambling apps, and also that people can self-exclude all on their own, uh, and to the fact that no, he didn't get jail time, but there are consequences if you threaten an athlete on social media. I think this is an important news item to get out there, to, to bring awareness to the existence of problem gambling and of responsible gambling protocols. Um, but also, maybe articles glorifying long shot parlay wins need to be more carefully considered. And, and I realize like we don't always know who's doing so responsibly or irresponsibly. It's hard to investigate how much money a person has and say, oh, this guy's a millionaire. If he's betting $1,000 on a crazy parlay, that's not irresponsible for him. But I do think you have to try to vet whether someone is tilting off money they shouldn't be gambling with and just getting lucky. Easier said than done, I realize. But um, I, I think as much as we need to publicize this part of the story, I think uh, the industry needs to take a good look at whether it should stop publicizing the first part of the story. Well, I would say this. Uh, if you give a 24-year-old a cho choice between 10 days in jail or six months of home detention, I think they'll take the second one, which yeah. is why I think they should that he should have gotten both. Yeah, I mean, I guess a, sh a short jail sentence, I wouldn't yeah. uh, I wouldn't uh, object to too much. It, it just, you know, I was punishable up to five years in prison or whatever. And so even even like one year in prison, I think would have been like 
out of whack for the level of, of crime that he was committing and for the danger that he presents. Uh, but- yeah, we agree on that, which is why we're never going to get a first take or whatever hot take show because we're, <laughs> we're not being unreasonable enough. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have to take a hardline stance and just scream at each other whether we believe in that hardline stance or not. And then yeah. uh, and then we'll be raking in the dough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our, our next story is less dark, thankfully, but some might find it disturbing in its own way. A Michigan sports better named Ryan Christman is suing DraftKings, alleging that the sportsbook operator did not pay him on what should have been a winning bet to the tune of more than $5,500. According to the lawsuit, uh, and there are screenshots provided in the legal filing that appear to back up his claims, Christman says he saw a price of plus 510 on the Boston Bruins getting three goals against the New York Rangers in a February 10th game, which we all know is a crazy price, getting more than five to one on your money as long as the team you're backing doesn't lose by more than three goals. Uh, Christman knew it was crazy, so he emailed DraftKings support after placing the bet before the game began to confirm that his bet was okay. He received a response saying it was fine and wishing him luck. The Bruins ended up winning three to two. And when Christman checked his account afterward, his bet for $915, everything he had in his account at the time, had been graded a loser. DraftKings explained that it was a display error. At that price, it shouldn't have been Bruins plus three. It should have been Bruins minus three, which the Bruins did not cover that line. Uh, After Christman complained, they offered him a refund on his bet and $100 in site credit. That wasn't good enough for him, so instead he's suing DraftKings for an undisclosed amount, presumably some amount higher than the full $6,500 or so that the bet was supposed to return. It sure seems to me like DraftKings doesn't have a leg to stand on with this one. John, do you agree? And what's the reputational damage like for DraftKings and for the legal sports betting industry if they don't hurry up and settle this case? I'm running out of ways to figure out how many mistakes were made. So the odds were (laughs) were wrong. We know that. Mm -hmm. Then um, he asked if it was okay beforehand. Apparently they say yes. Mm -hmm. And then the game, they call him a loser because it was really minus three and you you bet the wrong thing. That's a mistake. Then they went from a refund and $100 in site credit. That's not good enough. Then worst of all, we're talking about it now because he still haven't given them the damn money. I mean – you know, the key seems to be him getting that confirmation with DraftKings that the bet was okay. So I wanted to claim that you don't have to pay for a mistake in line, which wouldn't save the betting operator in New Jersey or Nevada, by the way. Um, but you want to complain that you're also off the hook for not training a different employee well enough to avoid compounding the mistake. And then you try and claim that he's a loser on the bet at first before you finally admit, okay, we'll give you the money and, and a little bit of goodwill. I mean, DraftKings, just pay the man and be glad the wager wasn't larger. You can afford it. Even if they were to win in court, they'd lose in the court of opinion. Yep. Yeah, I I think um, if there had been no follow up before the game, you know, no email from Christman confirming the bet, then DraftKings would have somewhat of a case. Um, You know, it was a display error. It should have been obvious. The bet is voided. I'm not saying they'd have a winning case, but they would have a case at least if that hadn't happened. But but here with an email paper trail confirming that the bet is fine, according to DraftKings. Yeah, I'm right with you. I think they were incredibly foolish not to just pay the bet. As you said, 6500 bucks that is nothing to DraftKings. I can't see how they don't ultimately lose this case or settle the case for some amount, $6,500 or greater, and it is terrible for their reputation. You have to take responsibility for your product. If there's a display error, that's on you. And if the better double checks and then you double down, forget it. You, you are just completely in the wrong here. 
And the thing is that uh, operators know in New Jersey and Nevada, as I said, that when you make this mistake, you're out of luck. You know, it, it's not the European model. They have a long tradition where anytime we all know that this is an obvious blunder, right? Nobody thinks that anyone really thought this was a legitimate line. Right. In Europe, you don't get paid, period. In New Jersey and Nevada, you do get paid, period. Massachusetts state law, exactly gambling. I don't know. But like I said, you know, it's not even worth going, going through the case. And, you know, with any luck, uh, somebody there is paying attention. And next week we'll be talking about the settlement. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you talked about how it's an obvious blunder and that it just it. Get, it's a slippery slope in terms of what if it isn't so obvious? You know, it's a thin line sometimes between what's a line with some value and what's a line that's a mistake. Like what if it had been instead of Bruins plus three at plus, plus 510, what if it had been Bruins plus one at plus 200, which normally, you know, Bruins minus one might be plus 200 or something like that. That's a case where it's close enough that you can think, wow, they just posted a soft line. Um, so yeah, these sports books, they need to be more careful. And if, if they take a bet after that, it's too late on honor that bet. Uh, DraftKings, yeah, for not just for their own reputation, but for the good of the industry, they need to step up and say, our mistake, we're paying him. End of story. Yeah, this is uh, a bit mystifying, uh, certainly at this point. Yep. All right. Our final story this week gets away from legal cases and individual bettors and instead turns to progress toward regulated sports betting in a particular state. Uh, this is still a developing story as of our recording on Thursday morning, but the state in question is Louisiana, which we thought would finalize its framework for sports betting this week, but so far it hasn't gone completely smoothly. Last Friday, the Louisiana House approved a bill setting the framework for mobile betting in 55 of the state's 64 parishes, but it made amendments. And on Tuesday, the Senate rejected those amendments and sent the bill into conference to hash it out. The legislative session adjourns today, Thursday, June 10th. So the clock is ticking. The governor signed one bill setting the tax rate for sports betting, 10% uh, at retail books and 18% online. But the rest hasn't been completed, and it's unclear what the holdup is. It might have something to do with whether to allow betting on horse racing at Harrah's land-based casino, or it might have nothing to do with that. We, we aren't sure. Uh, John, the people of Louisiana voted in November 2020 to bring sports betting to their state. Are the legislators going to screw it up for them? Uh, and any thoughts on any of the rules and regulations on the table in Louisiana? Oh, yeah. I, I attended a gaming conference in New Orleans a couple of years ago and got an education from a couple of state lawmakers on different panels, reminding me that Louisianans, well, they, they kind of march to their own drummer. Uh, mm. Politically, if there isn't any intrigue, it wouldn't be any fun. Uh, now, this state has done the same song and dance with Daily Fantasy Sports for several years now. So right. this none of this surprises me. Uh, you know, if I were a cynic, I might reference my... Uh, one of my favorite phrases of how apparently not enough folks down there have gotten to wet their beaks yet. Um, but I'm an optimist at heart, so I don't want to thank that. Pelican beaks, uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> of course. There you go. Very nice. <laughs> um, Louisiana is is a fascinating state with its uh, that 55 of 64 parishes thing. Um, I think GeoComply or whoever is handling geolocation there, they're, they're going to have their hands full with this one. Um, but I just find this really frustrating. How many blueprints do you need from other states to show you rules and regulations that are working that you can just copy and maybe tweak a little? Uh, instead, seven months after your citizens clearly voted to legalize this, at least in 55 of the parishes, 
you're going right down to the wire trying to reinvent the wheel and make up rules, figure out rules. I know each state has its own unique interests. Um, so, so they're, you know, you can't just exactly copy paste, but boy, if, if they don't get this done and don't have sports betting up and running in time for football season, that's a pathetic screw up in my view. Uh, you know, just keep driving those saints fans and LSU fans to the offshore books. Fabulous. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping this segment will be outdated for anyone who listens to the podcast Thursday evening. Maybe they'll get it all resolved by then. We'll see. Well, one uh, consolation you can have is as far as geo comply goes is, uh, you know, I've been dealing with them for years and mm-hmm. it just so happened that New Jersey was the first state they really had to focus hard on. And the, the population of New Jersey, it's incredible, like 80 or something percent of, of people in New Jersey live within like 10 or 15 miles of New York or Pennsylvania, right? right. The New York City or Philadelphia. Right, because everyone wants to get get out of New Jersey as soon as possible. <laughs> well, right? but they all live here, don't they? It's <laughs> most definitely parts of the state, so go figure. <laughs> I know, so, I know. So, so you couldn't come up with a, with a more difficult framework for them, right? I mean, millions and millions of people live right by a border mm-hmm. of, a, of a larger state than New Jersey. And they figured that out. I mean, I've seen the big board down in Dave Rebook's office in Atlantic City, Division of Gaming for, Enforcement. And uh, it's incredible. They they can figure out exactly who is, where everyone is who's trying to get there. And they even know whether they're using like an Android or an iPhone or whatever. They right. can even tell which people are in New Jersey and they're not getting through because they have some, quarter, some sort of a, you know, uh, a blocker or something on their phone. So they can contact those people and tell them exactly, look, we know you're legal, but you're not in yet. Here's how you can fix it, right? And then they also know the people that are out and they block them out. So, you know, 55 of 64 parishes, I'm gonna take a wild guess. First of all, none of them are near New Orleans that aren't doing this. And the number of people People on the border between one parish or the other is like not even one percent of what goes on in New Jersey. So, so that part I'm not worried about. But the rest of it being, you can't legally bet on LSU or the Saints in the fall. Yeah, that's a disaster. Yeah, I guess we had someone from Geo Comply on the podcast a, a while ago, and I remember them talking more about the uh, the issue with DC, where it was going to be like mm-hmm. literally within certain buildings you couldn't bet, yeah. like within the arena you couldn't use. So, I guess compared to that, this isn't too tricky. But I, yeah, I remember those early days of the New Jersey only uh, online poker that mm-hmm. I could be in New Jersey, but within a few miles of the border and have trouble getting on that they would, they would always err on the side of if it's, if it's close, we're not letting you play. Uh, and, and you know, those, that was in the very early days they came, they've come a long way and now it's like pinpoint perfect and, and pretty easy. And I, you know, whether I'm in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, I don't, it's been a very long time since I got some kind of a message that we can't locate you or you're not okay to play. They, they've sorted it all out. So you're, you're probably right that the, now that they've really figured it out and have been doing it for years, I don't think they'll have any huge problems with, uh, with the Louisiana geography. Uh, no, but as I said, uh, LSU football, come on. You gotta, you gotta yep. let that better be legal. Please <laughs> yep. give me a break. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. When John Rahm had to withdraw from the Memorial Tournament with a six-stroke lead with 18 holes to go due to a positive COVID test, it instantly became a major sports story. 
And before long, it became a major sports betting story, too. That's because several online sports books took the opportunity to earn goodwill with some of their customers and either refund ROM bets or, in many cases, pay the losing bets as if they were winners. One sports book that did not go that route was Circa Las Vegas. And joining us now to give his perspective on the issue and to talk about sports betting in general is Circa Sportsbook Operations Manager Jeff Benson. Jeff, thanks for joining us on Gamble On. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, looking forward to today's topic. Good. So there's no question that offering bad beat refunds or grading losers as winners after unfortunate endings is a slippery slope. Uh, and to me, the downside is crystallized by what we saw last weekend with many ROM bettors expecting to be refunded and being disappointed if their sports book chose not to. How dangerous, in your view, is the precedent some of these newer U.S. sports books have set? And, and would you say it trickles down and has a negative effect on Circa's business? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, it's, it's certainly a slippery slope. And I think our, our sports book director, Matt Metcalf, said it best. I, I think once you get into the subjectivity of it, you know, there, it, it raises a lot of red flags. You know, uh, when James Harden exited the game 43 seconds in, you know, people wanted their props uh, refunded um, on James Harden. Um, you know, when, uh, you know, Roger Federer withdraws from the French Open, um, you know, are you going to ultimately um, refund wages there? Um, not necessarily pay them as winners, but I, I think once you get into that subjectivity and want to do it once um, for a situation like John Rahm, while very unfortunate, there's just you know, so many negatives that come on the back end from it. And, you know, like I said, you know, we certainly understand, you know, books who chose to do that. Um, and, and we understand, you know, it's certainly a good marketing angle. Um, but for us, we, we, we try to put our value for our players into everyday things, whether that's, you know, consistent industry leading limits, um, whether that's our guest service, you know, whether that's our pricing and odds uh, and splits on different markets, um, we're certainly, uh, you know, whether that's the theoretical hold, um, that you're betting into each week. So, you know, for us, you know, these places who did refund, you know, 20, 30, $40 bets, you know, I think that it made sense for them. You know, I think given our limits, um, and the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't think it necessarily made sense for us. Um, and, and, and those books that did do it, uh, for those customers, you know, they're going to continue to to bet into theoretical golf pools with a 30, 40, 50 percent um, house edge, you know, as opposed to if you're playing here at Circa where, you know, it may have a 10, 15, 20 percent house edge. Um, and also, you know, if you do show a pulse um, and you do show to be a winner um, and things like that, you know, you may be backed off quickly or limited altogether. Uh, whereas at Circa here, you know, we're a transparent marketplace that welcomes all betters. Did you get any negative feedback from any customers who, who were looking for a refund? I know there was Twitter conversation that you had to deal with and stuff like that, but did, actual, did any actual people come into the book on Saturday night or Sunday and say, hey, other books are refunding this or grading it as winners. Why, why aren't you? Or, or did your customers not actually attempt to get their money? No, you know, I, I think our customer base, you know, we've been open here and operating for a little over two years now. I think they understand, you know, our approach and our model and what we're trying to do. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, uh, while very unfortunate, um, you know, given the fact that he was going to be up six strokes going into the last day and, you know, almost assuredly was going to win the tournament. 
Um, you know, we just don't pay out on losing bets. And I think the difference between us and some of these other operators, uh, when you look at it, is that we're an actual traditional marketplace uh, akin to the stock market in the sense that you could bet John Rom to win the tournament and you can bet John Rom not to win the tournament. So, you know, for all those shops that were ultimately, you know, paying out John Rom to win the tournament, and then they also paid out Patrick Cantlay to win the tournament since he actually did win the tournament, you know, for, for us, uh, conversely, on the other side of the spectrum, you know, we had plenty of people, um, obviously not as much as betting him to win, but we, we did have bets on John Rom not to win the tournament. Uh, and those were the bets that we ultimately ended up paying out. So, you know, for, for us, like I said, it, it's two sides to every story. And for us, being a traditional marketplace that gives you the opportunity to both buy and sell a golfer, um, much like you could do with a stock, you know, we have the obligation to pay out on those uh, not to win the tournament bets uh, that players made on John Rom. So that was how we approached the situation. Uh, yeah, now, Jeff, uh, I'm sure uh, you and Eric have both seen this clip. Uh, I actually remember watching this live. It's a uh, Yankees Royals, George Brett pine tar game. Uh, suddenly the umpires after Billy Martin, the Yankee manager comes out and, and notes the pine tar and the umpires are a little confused. And then they said, well, I guess that's no good. we got to take the home run away. And George Brett famously runs out of the dugout and just about, I think he was ready to strangle the umpire if, if he wasn't restrained. And uh, obviously that game was a mess. And ultimately the protest was upheld. The rest of the game was replayed. You know, Gaylord Perry was an aging uh, Royals pitcher at the time who, who actually hid the bat. I mean, the, the thing was a kind of a farce, really. Um, that's an extreme. Uh, I can think of something like a mid-match tragedy, and I wouldn't want to be more detailed because uh, it's bad karma. Uh, but uh, some maybe there's a, uh, you know, a soccer match that is like a no contest for three days because something crazy happened. I mean, is there anything where you would get to possibly – you know, even, even a different scenario. Okay. Then we would make a different decision or are you kind of setting this absolutely in stone with all your betters that listen, if your guy doesn't win, you don't get paid no matter what, which I, I think frankly would simplify things for everybody. So I, I can't say that would be a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, for us, there's obviously going to, you know, everything in the world's not uh, black and white. You know, there's certainly gray uh, when it, when it comes to certain situations. And, you know, I think, over the last year, you know, you've certainly seen a lot of that given, you know, the complications with COVID um, and everything that we've had to deal with, with that, you know, I, I think for us, we try to put as much, you know, clarity into our stipulations and into our house rules. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that gives the player the most amount of protection. I, I think when you look at some of these operators and they kind of just change the rules on the fly, you know, for every karma committee or bad beat payout, um, or things like that, uh, you're certainly going to end up getting in scenarios where, you know, a, a player doesn't get what they're looking for or they expect a certain thing. And like I said, I, we don't believe that subjectivity ultimately uh, leads to, to the best uh, protection uh, for the player in the industry. Um, so for us, you know, we really try to stick to our house rules and things like that. Um, but, you know, Matt Metcalf, who's our director, uh, and who I like to consider, you know, the moral compass of U.S. sports betting. You know, he's a guy who's been on the other other side of the counter. He's a, you know, and for all of our our, our staff, you know, we like to think where Circus Sports is by betters and it's for betters. And ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, we're going to do things that we believe make the most sense from a business perspective, and we're always going to have the best interest of our players at heart.
Yeah, Jeff, I think to your point, I'm in New Jersey, which is an early adapter in this modern era, obviously. And in 2018, there were a few crazy sporting results. And indeed, there were refunds given. And I did think that I kind of knew which crazy event result would lead to a refund. And maybe the first four or five times I was right. And then for a long stretch there, there might have been another four or five times that I thought it was going to be a refund. And it didn't happen. So, yeah, it definitely opened up an uncertainty here in New Jersey and in other states. Absolutely. Um, so you, you've talked about how your customer base at Circa is a, a little different from what some of these uh, newer mobile sports books have. Um, Circa ha has really gained a reputation as a sports book for serious sports bettors. One of the reasons the pros all seem to talk you guys up is that you don't have different limits for different bettors. How serious a problem from your perspective is the practice at other books of letting certain customers only bet very small amounts? Or, or, or does that not bother you because it drives some of that business to Circa and, and, and the handful of other books that don't limit betters like you guys? No, I would say it definitely bothers me. You know, I'm, I'm a guy who's somebody who loves the sports betting industry and certainly wants to see it, ex, you know, excel and, you know, uh, be run at uh, you know the highest level and you know I, I think you know there's different strokes for different folks and I, I think certain operators uh, definitely come at it from a, a different approach and a different angle you know for me uh, making the move from my previous job within the industry uh, to Circa Sports you know and, and getting to be a part of something you know with our CEO and owner Derek Stevens and our sports book director Matt Metcalf you know, for us, like I said, you know, it, it's sports betting the way it should be. Um, and that's kind of an open-ended phrase that, uh, you know, we allow people to kind of think what they want with it. You know, but for us, uh, like I said, we, we approach things from a model perspective uh, in, in terms of low hold, high volume. We opened our doors to take bets. Uh, we want to right handle. We want to we want to write bets. And, and ultimately, we want to increase our liquidity. And we think, you know, by doing those things uh, that we're, we're able to be uh, successful uh, in the long run. And I think from an ethical perspective, um, it really allows us to run the sports book that we want. So, you know, I, I know limits are something that are, are overly discussed in the industry and are definitely a problem when you kind of look around. But for us, I think at the forefront of it, it's, it's all about transparency. So, you know, we try to, we try to provide a product and a service um, that really uh, hits home on a lot of those fronts. You know, when you walk in the door, uh, you're going to understand what you can get on a WNBA total, what you can get uh, on, on, on a future, what you can get on an NFL side. Um, you're going to know what you can get on a Monday, a Wednesday, a Friday. You know, there's going to be a limit sheet in our sheet rack. You know, we're one of maybe the only places in the world that, uh, you know, matches what we take at the counter onto the app. Um, so for us, it's all about being transparent, being ethical, running a sports book um, that we believe, you know, provides value to our players um, and also rewards them for the hard work that they're putting in. Um, and, and like I said, you know, we don't cut, we don't limit, we don't ban people. That's not, you know, our philosophy on things. You know, those guys who are going to win, you know, we, we, we want to utilize their information um, to put us in a better position. And I, I, I think, I heard a great quote, you know, somebody said, you know, would you take action from somebody who had tomorrow's newspaper? And the answer is absolutely. Um, and most <laughs> kind of scratch your head about, you know, why would you take action from somebody who knows tomorrow's scores? Well, for us, you know, 
we would be able to utilize that person's information to sharpen our number and to put us ultimately on the right side um, and allow us to, to what we believe to make more money had we not had that information. So, you know, like I said, different strokes for different pro, uh, folks, you know, certainly different approaches within the industry. Uh, but the way we come at it, low hold, high volume uh, and, and encouraging um, writing bets, uh, we believe allows us to make the most money in the long run. Uh, certainly not the uh, the low hanging fruit in the industry, certainly not easy. Uh, but with the guys we have in the back and the customer service we provide up front, uh, we certainly believe that it's the best approach uh, for us in terms of running a sports book. All right. So, so Circa Sportsbook is officially the sports book that, that Biff Tannen and his sports almanac are that where they're well, he's welcome to, uh, to go ahead and bet it with you, with you guys. Absolutely. Nice back to the future reference there. Right? I even got that one as little as I like movies. I even knew that one. So, um, yeah, Jeff, one last thing I, I got to say that just about every subscriber we have and occasional listener we have, I would speculate, uh, has two things in common, at least one is, uh, they've been to Las Vegas multiple times. And the other, for the most part, probably is they have not been back since the COVID era. Uh, and I'm sure they're eager to come back sometime this year. So, uh, can you give us a little, uh, boots on the ground sense, uh, from the rest of us around the country and even around the world uh how close to normal is las vegas in terms of what what the scene is on a casino floor at the big restaurants uh, are there are there shows going on if you walk the strip do you have the same kind of crowds and you know uh people in bad tourist t-shirts already uh, you know how far along the on the curve are we at this point in time for las vegas yeah i mean like i said uh, you know circus sports uh, circa las vegas you know uh, all of Derek's properties are downtown uh here uh, so I don't spend a ton of time on the strip, but I would say downtown, we're probably pretty close to 90, 95% back. Um, obviously, June 1st uh, was a big uh, day for us in terms of uh, lifting the mask restrictions and then obviously going to 100% capacity. So, you know, for us, obviously, it's been a long, hard, you know, 12 to 15 months here since we shut down. Um, but I, I think we're certainly making some good inroads to getting the city and the state back up to running um, at full capacity and then obviously having the tourism uh, come back in full droves. So, you know, with, with Circa Las Vegas, which is the first new uh, resort and casino here in downtown Las Vegas in 40 years, um, in which we have, you know, uh, the world's largest three-story sports book, uh, stadium swim, uh, the Legacy Club, a lot of great attractions. You know, fortunately for us, knock on wood, business has been pretty good. Um, but we're certainly seeing that uh, start to pick up at a lot of our other properties. And, uh, you know, as we gear up here for the NFL season and, uh, you know, people are starting to take summer trips and things like that. Um, you know, we're certainly excited for what the future has to hold and obviously, uh, you know, hopeful for a great uh, end of the year here in 2021. I'll be out there for the G2E uh, gaming conference in October. And I think uh, uh, I, I suspect uh, it's going to be record attendance this year. Absolutely. That's what it uh, seems like we're headed towards. Yeah, and I'm uh, hoping to attend as well. And I think uh, checking out the Circus Sportsbook is definitely uh, on my agenda for that that next trip to Vegas. Um, so, uh, Jeff, great talking to you. Thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast. We really appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me on, guys. We look forward to welcoming you when you get out here. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We have a whole bunch of results to run through this week as John placed many small golf bets last week, a lot of futures bets wrapped up, and I had one boxing result. Uh, first, the golf bets. 
John, you had a small loss with the men, a total strikeout with the women. I won't run through all the U.S. women's open bets. All anyone needs to know is there were four bets totaling $120 risked, and that was $120 lost. Um, with the men at the memorial, uh, no Rom or Cantlay bets to concern us in terms of controversies or bad beats or anything like that. Uh, Tony Finau let you down for top 20 and for outright win costing us $70 combined on those two bets, but you made $42 of it back on Patrick Reed for the top 20 as he finished fifth. So that's a total golf loss for the week of $148. I got us back $50 with my bet on the Dubois-Dinu fight to go under three and a half rounds. It ended 30 seconds into round two. And then we had the NBA futures. A disappointing end to my bet on Denver-Portland to go seven as Denver won game six on the road. Uh, so we lose $50 on that bet and also drop $20 on a long shot 50 to one preseason bet I made on the Blazers to win the NBA title. Uh, but then there are the NBA awards uh, with Nikola Jokic winning MVP. We lost $100 on my LeBron bet, but won $100 on my Jokic bet. So that's a wash. And we won $100 on Julius Randle for most improved player. So that means in total for the week, we lost $68. We're now down by $1,224. We also have $1,227 on hold in futures bets. And that leaves us with $7,549 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. You know, it's tough when you make wagers on four women. The three of them are top 10 plays. And the only one who does finish in the top 10 is the one you didn't bet <laughs> top 10. That's kind of how we've been rolling lately. So anyway, the PGA Tour is a new event this week to replace the Canadian Open with uh, for the one year anyway, hmm. uh, with COVID restrictions making that event uh, impractical. So we're back to South Carolina for a third straight month. And that once again, we look to foreigners who can handle possibly windy and other conditions better than our pampered American heroes. <laughs> and it's a Ryder Cup year. And that means Englishman Ian Poulter channels his inner cicada, except his cycle is every two years, not every 17 years. You know, Poulter has work to do to earn a wildcard berth and crush the spirits of American rivals in the Ryder Cup yet again. And you know the Europeans would like to have him on his team. So let's buy Poulter at a good course for him in a weak field across the board. 10 to win at plus 2,800, 40 on top 10 at plus 275, and 50 top 20 at plus 120. Uh, and finally, uh, 20 on Brooks Kepka to win at plus 850. Uh, he's loving this silly public feud he's having with Bryson DeChambeau. And his beloved U.S. Open event is only one week away. I, I think uh, he's it's a little spirit crushing himself. Okay. Um, you started with golf. I'll start with boxing. I'm trying to do small bankroll building bets on the one sport I know at least as well as the odds makers. Uh, last week, I did $50 at even money under three and a half rounds on the heavyweight mismatch. This week, it's a junior lightweight mismatch Saturday night on ESPN. The outstanding U.S. Olympian Shakur Stevenson from Newark, New Jersey. He's exceptionally skilled and talented but hasn't been matched tough, hasn't faced a real test yet. And he's anywhere from a 25 to one favorite to a 50 to one favorite to beat Jeremiah Nakatila of Namibia on Friday. Uh, Stevenson is a hell of a boxer, but he's average as a puncher, not a big knockout artist, eight knockouts and 15 wins, a relatively low KO percentage given his quality of opposition. The over underline here is eight and a half rounds and under is the favorite. Uh, whereas I can get even money on the over. Uh, so last week, under three and a half rounds for even money. This week, I like over eight and a half rounds for even money. It's far from a slam dunk. Um, that line is pretty good, but I lean toward it being, you know, just slightly more likely that this fight gets into the late rounds. I think there's very thin value on this one. So we'll keep it small again, $50 to win 50 that we get past the halfway mark of round nine. 
All right. That sounds good. And one other thing I do know is National League Baseball. Um, and Marlins young starter Trevor Rogers has a 197 ERA and the Rockies are terrible on the road. Most importantly, I know the Marlins set up a crew and the bullpen has excelled of late. So I feel safe in going 50 on the home Marlins, even at minus 230 to win. Okay. Uh, for my second bet, I'll go to the NBA. Um, I'll note that I'm not off to the best start with my Bucks over Nets series bet, uh, but maybe I'll get some life on that tonight. Uh, this is a must win for the Bucks in game three, um, but I'll shift my attention to the Western Conference for this week's NBA bet. Clippers at Jazz tonight, game two. In game one, the Clippers were fresh off a grueling seven game series. Hard to get up mentally and physically for game one of the next series. They laid a bit of an egg. Paul George shot terribly. Donovan Mitchell had a 45-point explosion, and they still only lost by three. Uh, They're getting three and a half tonight for game two. I would expect the Clippers to play better. This should be a close game either way. I'll take the points. $110 to win 100 on the Clippers plus three and a half tonight. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Jeff Benson. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, the floor is yours. Please take us out. Yeah, and so we've talked a lot of golf already this week, but this this finale here, it's not so much a golf story as much as a kind of a sad one for me and kind of funny for you, the listener. Uh, I think we all like, uh, boy, that, that poor bastard story. Yeah, I'm, I am that poor bastard this week. So <laughs> okay. while I've successfully, pretty much successfully, tried not to mention my annual season-long for money golf pool too often, you'll soon see why I have to mention this tale. Oof, so... I have a little tradition where, especially before bigger events, such as the Memorial was last week, I first share my four weekly picks with colleague Matt Rybaltowski, who writes quite a bit for our sportshandle.com website, and he also closely follows the PGA Tour. You know, Matt offers supporting words for my picks and sometimes even notes what he sees as a particularly good choice. So this week, I send in my four intended players. The aforementioned DeChambeau was a boring pick who finished 20th or 30th or whatever. Now, the other three, they were John Rahm. Patrick Cantley and Colin Morikawa, <laughs> who for one shiny moment as Rom finishes round on Saturday were one, two, three in a tournament, and all three or were at least three shots uh, clear of fourth place. Uh, I was at my brother's house, and he came back. He, he got some pickup food for us to have dinner, sit outside, nice time Saturday night, and he's. I'm watching. Uh, Ram on the 18th hole and he says oh do you want to you know watch the end of that first he knew I was doing well this week and he wasn't and so I said no nah, he just drove it into the fairway he's up seven shots I mean what's the point why bother so I go outside and about an hour and a half of uh, bliss is uh, ignorance and ignorance is bliss and all that good stuff and then my brother's eyes light up when he sees the phone he says oh I can't show this to you John and I say what you know was Ram disqualified or something and he looks at me like, wait, how did you know? Because he could see I didn't have my phone out that whole time. Yeah. So there's uh, one other problem. Uh, I mentioned that I send those picks to Matt and then I send them to the commissioner that e- same evening. Yeah. Well, uh, between the time I sent Matt my picks and sent them to the commissioner, I read a tournament preview that absolutely sold me on Tony Finau. So much that I wasted $70 on a bankroll on what was a mediocre finish <laughs> for him. Yes. And so I did move Finau into my foursome of picks and I did move Cantley out. And yes, Cantley won the playoff. And yes, two of my only three rivals within shouting distance of my lead. 
had him naturally. So the one, two, three finish would have given me a crushing lead on the entire field. Kind of uh, reminds me of that Seinfeld, the, the roommate switch, you know, it's never been done in history, never been <laughs> attempted. People right. in the middle age were locked up for even thinking about having a one, two, three finish in the same tournament. Yeah, it didn't quite happen. I got a two finish. Um, so now I'm got a, a slight lead with three rivals. They're within a million bucks of me, 11 weeks to go. They could pass me by the end of the weekend. Kind of brutal, but first world problem, isn't it? So, yeah. look, I sent the pool a note saying that since we go by the prize money earned by our foursomes each week, and since Rom earns zero dollars, no controversy here, no uh, karma committee. It's just bad karma. So finally, I put a brave face with an old favorite saying of mine on it: "The tougher the prey, the sweeter the kill." So John Rom and John Brennan, you teamed up to give John Brennan a chance for an even more satisfying pool finish come August. And with that, until next time, gamble on. <laughs>